Hello and welcome to the Midtown Fellowship Sermon Podcast. It's great to have you with us. You're joining us in the middle of our Be Curious Sermon Series, where together as a community, we're exploring scripture with a curious heart to learn more about Jesus, to learn more about his word for us, and even to learn more about ourselves. It's a beautiful thing when we come together as a community and realize that our questions don't keep us away from God. It actually draws us closer to him. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can go to our website, midtownfellowship.org. And if you'd like to join us, we'd love to see you on Sunday morning. Hey, say good morning to somebody before you grab a seat and say hey. I mean, come on. Like, where did everybody go for Memorial Day weekend and they didn't invite us? This is just sad and cruel, isn't it? Quite honestly, you know, I like it when we have these smaller crowds uh, for these holidays because with that fail, it seems like that God always does something spectacular uh, when we stop setting our eyes on what man sets our eyes on and actually start to look at what is unseen. Because we love the spectacular when you can't find a seat and it's packed and it's crazy and all that kind of stuff. But the Lord works in very different ways. In fact, he may be working here this morning. And we really believe here that uh, here at Midtown and what scripture teaches us is that truth, we can understand truth like intellectually, you may be able to grasp what I'm talking about this morning. But when the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to work, it turns that truth into revelation which moves our hands and our feet in remarkably different directions. And so I want to give you a heads up. Today, I am praying, you should have one of these. What I'm praying for and what I prayed at the last service is, I'm praying that the Lord will, uh, will call 10 people to go on a journey with me this summer. 10 people that would be challenged to share your faith story with one person this summer. One person this summer. Okay, you ready? So hang on to this. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, no pressure. We're really looking for the Holy Spirit to move here. So we are reading a story. Justin, you're going to come on up. And Justin is our reader today. Do you all know Justin? I think he's looking remarkably well today, don't you? Like that shirt? So Justin is, uh, he is reading for us a story that if you've been around the church any length of time you've heard this story already. And there's a real danger with the story that's super familiar because when we hear a familiar story, we kind of zone out. And I want you to really zone in because there are some hidden treasures here that we're going to try to draw out about this wee little story. So, Justin, a giant of man reading a story about a wee little man. <laughs> so feel free to read when you're ready. Luke 19, 1 through Don't 10. Don't let me interrupt you. You just keep on going. <laughs> Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have, to have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks, Justin. Fantastic. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray now that you would take your word, and Lord, you would set it on fire by your presence here and draw our hearts to it. Not only teach us, Lord, but move us with it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is a pretty familiar story, isn't it? <clears throat> In fact, there was a famous song that was written about this story. Zacchaeus was a, do you know the words? <laughs> I was thinking about this week and I said, what, doesn't we mean little? Like, doesn't this seem like it's a bit redundant? Like, it just seems cruel now, you know? You're a little, little man. I don't know who wrote that song, but are they getting residuals for that, you think? Nobody knows? Okay. Um, but Jesus is coming into Jericho and Zacchaeus, we little man, uh, can't see him because the crowds are blocking him. So he runs ahead. He climbs up a sycamore fig tree and he sees Jesus coming and Jesus comes and says, Zacchaeus, you know that song? You come down from there for I'm coming to your house too. So, and then they go to the house and Zacchaeus becomes a Christian and gives away a lot of his money. So let's talk about this for a minute because really this is not an uncommon theme in the Bible. In fact, it really kind of worries me and maybe it should worry you too is that wherever Jesus went, he seemed to attract the most notorious, the most scandalous, the most outliers, like wherever he went, like the poor flooded to where Jesus was. Wherever he went, the sick flooded to where Jesus was. The hungry flooded to where Jesus was. The lame, the broken, like, and not just like good sinners, like really, really good sinners, not amateur sinners, but like professional sinners, like flocked to him. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about a demon-possessed guy, like he had legions of demons in him. Like a demon-possessed guy who ran around naked howling at the moon. That's the kind of people that Jesus attracted, which is quite remarkable because the early church was just this hodgepodge of the most unlikely kingdom dwellers you could possibly imagine. And look at us now. We're so respectable. Like, I haven't seen any of y'all running around this city naked this week. None of you. Like, zero. Like, it's been years since I've seen anybody running around naked. I have seen that before. That's another story when children are not in the room. And Zacchaeus is no different. Like, let's look at this guy. He was, he was the chief tax collector, which kind of means, put him in the category of he was a mafia boss. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, which, which meant that he had minions that worked under him to do his bidding. He was orchestrating all the tax collectors in the Jericho region. And the reason that's a big deal is because if we want to understand tax collectors, Rome, the, the empire of Rome had moved in and had taken over Israel. They were an occupying force that had ousted the Israel military, they had ousted the Israel um, government and authorities, and they had placed their own people in place. And now that they were ruling the land, they were going to get their taste. And so they created a taxation system. 
And to collect those taxes, they knew the best people to collect those taxes were people that knew the community. The best person to get the tax is to know the people you're getting the tax from. And the best person to get the tax is the one that knows the businesses, knows the side deals, knows where everybody lives, knows what everybody is doing. And so what they did, boy, this is just so dark. They went into communities. This is an occupying enemy force that has worked their will by force and violence. And they recruited people from the community to work for them. And here's what they said to Zacchaeus. I want you... I know our taxes are unfair, but you're in charge of collecting it. You need to go and get it. And in this story, we get another clue. Look what it says. He was the chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Because the way tax collectors got wealthy is if you owed $10 of taxes, Zacchaeus guy, by the authority of Rome and the power behind him, wouldn't collect $10, he'd collect 20 And Zacchaeus and his minions would pocket the 10 and send the other 10 to Rome. They got wealthy by taking more than even what the Romans were requiring. That means he got wealthy on the back of his neighbors. That means he got wealthy off his own community. That means he used his position to cheat, steal, and bully the community that he grew up in. These were his parents' friends. These were people he went to school with. These were people that he played on the playground with that he leveraged his position to take from them and lie in his own pockets. He wasn't just stealing. He was stealing from his own community. Has anybody ever stole something from you? Like, I'm not talking about like a sibling who borrowed that outfit, you know, like, a couple of years ago, somebody, I'd left my truck unlocked in my driveway, in my driveway. In the middle of the night, somebody came into my neighborhood, into my driveway, got into my truck and took everything that was in there. None of it was of any value. Like my neighbors found all like my car, you know, paperwork and everything like old repair bills, like down the street. Like there was nothing in there, no value. And yet I was incensed. How dare somebody come into my driveway, get in my truck, and clean it out and take all the trash out? My trash. (laughs) And here's what's crazy is that my imagination started to kick in. And I started to imagine, uh, wouldn't it be great if you, you had some kind of system to punish people that are trying to break into your car in the middle of the night? Like, I don't want to catch them. I want to punish them. And what I was imagining is, wouldn't it be great if you could, like, when they lift the door handle, something came out of the door, like, and, and just confronted them. Like, I wasn't at first, it's like painful, but then I thought, no, nah, okay, I'm a Christian, I can't hurt them. All right. But what if it spray painted them? Like the minute they lifted the door handle, their face was painted like pink or something with permanent ink. And they had to go around town and everybody would know, oh, Pink face, we know you, car thief. Like, I just was imagining that would be be so amazing because it seems so unfair. And I want you to grasp this, that Zacchaeus, we sing funny songs about him, but in his own community, he wasn't liked, he wasn't honored, 
He was the very example that parents would point to with their kids saying, if you don't behave, you're going to turn out like Zacchaeus. Like this is not a guy that anybody liked. In fact, they hated him. He was despised. He, he was considered the enemy of the community. He was an oppressor. He was unclean. Because if you were a family, he's the reason your kids don't have new shoes. If you're trying to raise a family, he's the reason we're not going to Disney for spring break. We would if we could, but Zacchaeus came in and took our savings. He's the reason that your kids are going to go hungry when they go to bed tonight. And yet he lives in the biggest house. He rides the biggest car. He has the most money. He is wealthy and we are suffering. You think this was a big deal? You can see why everybody was shocked that Jesus is going to his house. Like you've seen it before. Like if you ever open up the newspaper or you turn on the local news and it says, you know, uh, these nefarious ca characters were caught selling cocaine, you know, laced with fentanyl, you know, the scourge of society. And then they plop up the pictures and you go, yeah, I get it. I get it. That's not a stretch. I could have pointed them out of a lineup, you know. Yeah, you're the cocaine dealers, you know. Let me try to put it in context. If Jesus came to town today, this story would mean that he's driving right past this church and going to those guys' house. Does that seem scandalous to you? <laughs> well, let's come back to this tree climber. Because here we got this notorious professional sinner who is a lot worse than maybe we originally thought he was. Like, this guy's a bad character. He seems to be seeking Jesus. Like, he seems to be climbing a tree. He's desperate to get his eyes on Jesus. He seems to be expressing this unusual faith that he's climbing a sycamore fig tree. Not a sycamore tree, a sycamore fig tree. And he gets up into the top of this tree, and it seems like Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, I recognize what profound faith you have. And come down, and we're going to go to your house. And because of his faith, Jesus saved him. But let's pause. And let's think about this for a minute, because I don't think that Zacchaeus' tree climbing is what urged Jesus to respond to him. In fact, I think his tree climbing was the fruit of something already happening in his life. Look at the end of this passage. Jesus says, today salvation has come into this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Interesting. I'm not going to talk about this morning. Go Google it. And he says, for the son of man, which Jesus was saying this about himself, which means the Messiah. If you go study Daniel, you'll see why he's using this terminology. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The son of man came to seek. Jesus came to seek. Jesus came to seek. And if we look at this passage through the whole lens of that one statement, Jesus came to seek, we start to realize it wasn't Zacchaeus that was looking for Jesus. It was actually Jesus that was looking for Zacchaeus. Let me explain. Romans chapter 3, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Nobody is righteous. And what that means is you may think you're better than Zacchaeus, but that's because you're confused. He's unrighteous, you're unrighteous. Apart from the grace of God, we are all unrighteous. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Cheer up. 
But he goes on to say, there's no one who understands and there is no one who seeks after God. No one. Now in the Greek, when we translate that word no one, it means no one. No one seeks after God. Nobody. And then Jesus' word in John chapter 6, verse 44, says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one's coming to me unless the Father draws him. And that Greek word draw, it doesn't just mean draw. It actually means drag, drag. Unless the Father drags anyone to me, nobody's coming to me on their own will. We were at the zoo a couple of years ago, and we were in the petting zoo. Have any of y'all ever been to the petting zoo? There are goats in there. Like, I don't know why that's like a thing. You know, let's go be around goats. <laughs> but there was a kid in there that was really getting into it and feeding the, the goats their little goat food. And mama goes, you know, hey, Junior, it's time to go. And he turns around and says, no. And you realize he have, he's finally found his home with the goats. Like he is loving this goat life, you know. And she goes, no, we are going. And that's when I step back and go, oh, this is going to be a great sermon illustration. Just step out of it. Let's watch what happens. She's dragging her son out of the goat pen, and he is screaming for his goats, for the life of a goat. That's the picture here. The father grabs us, and he drags us out of our life of sin as we're screaming bloody murder, and he is dragging us to Jesus. Is that for real? Is that really what God is doing? It's Jesus' M.O. through the entire Gospels. Think about it. Have you ever heard the story about Jesus told the story of the shepherd that had 100 sheep and one got lost and he left the 99 and he went to find the one that was lost? Does that sound like seeking to you? Yes. He leaves the 99. He goes and finds the one sheep that is lost, brings it back, drags it back from lostness into foundness and throws a huge party. Doesn't stop there. There's a story of a woman who lost a coin. She sweeps her whole house. And what is she doing? She's not waiting for the coin to find her. She is seeking the coin. And when she finds that one coin, what does she do? She throws a huge party. I think it's a little, you know, over the top, but hey, it's her coin. Then there's the story, if you've never heard of the buried treasure, where someone is working in a field and they find a treasure of great value and they go and sell everything they have and they buy the field to have the treasure. That is Jesus seeking. We are his treasure. And if that's not enough, listen to what Jesus said to the disciples. The 12, like, like supposedly the holy 12, like somehow they're better than us. Go read the gospels. They're really not. These goobers, he looks at them and he goes, you didn't choose me. Listen to what he says. You did not choose me. I chose you. Our Jesus is a seeker Jesus. He came to seek and to save the lost. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in, in our trespasses, he made us alive where? With Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. So maybe a way to understand this, one of my professors in seminary, God rest his soul, R.C. Sproul, used to tell it like this. He says, many of us feel like that we're floating in the sea of sin, 
you know, and we're nearly drowning. And Jesus comes up on the boat of salvation. And he comes and he reaches his hand out and he says, Randy, just grab my hand and I will pull you onto the boat of salvation and you will be free and you won't drown in the sea of sin. The problem with that illustration is that's not what scripture says. Scripture says, while we were dead in our trespasses, that's when God made us alive. In other words, we're not floating on the top of the sea of sin. We're at the bottom of the sea of sin. We're crab food. We're down at the very bottom, dead. And Jesus comes pulling up on the boat of his kingdom and leaves his kingdom, dives down to the bottom of the sea, grabs us, brings us up onto the boat of his kingdom and breathes life. And what life does he breathe into us? His life. He breathes his life into us, forgives us of our sin, and by his resurrection, we too are raised to newness of life. And we're brought to life. We were dead, now we're alive. And he puts his Holy Spirit in us, and now he makes us spiritually vibrant and alive. That's salvation. See, listen to this. If you're a Christian here today, and it's okay if you're not, because trust me, we've all been there. Maybe you're a Zacchaeus. Maybe you're a tree climber, and you're immensely curious about God. But you don't have any answers. But if you are a believer today, if you're like, I know this story. This story is my story. In Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. What's the gift of God? It's not just salvation, but also faith. When he breathed me alive, he gave me this gift of faith. And then he goes, now use it. Come on, I dare you, use it. And that's what we see in this story because... All right, go with me. So God works in the life of Zacchaeus. And the first thing that we see in his life is it seems like this giddy excitement because what does it say that he, he says, look, Lord. <laughs> if you're ever at a party and somebody says that, step back, all right? Because there seems to be this amazing gratitude this amazing attitude of, because we know he got saved. So he was dead, and now the father drew him to Jesus, and through the powerful work of Jesus, he was made alive. All right? Do you remember when that happened for you? When Jesus made you alive? And in that alive state of gratitude, what is the first thing Zacchaeus does? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> he turns into a red hot chili pepper. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. It moved him to others immediately. See, he not only gave away half his possession, he said, I'm giving away it all, half. I'm going to get half. And if I've cheated anybody, and who has he cheated? Everybody. I'm going to give them four times what I cheated. He was literally saying, I'm going to be penniless when I get done with this. What has happened? How is it that God's work is so profound that it turned the biggest scoundrel, the biggest thief, the biggest hoarder of wealth into a man that had nothing? See, here's the crazy thing is, do you ever wonder why your Christianity gets stale? Do you ever get tired of coming to church? Like, seriously. Do you ever find that you can go weeks without praying? Like, you don't really read the Bible. 
you're like, ugh, I just don't think I'm into worship music, you know? That it's just hard, that it just doesn't seem to be exciting. Do you ever feel like sometimes that going to church is like you're hearing about a lot of stuff that used to happen, but you're not really experiencing it now? And when I talk about the Holy Spirit, you're like, I don't really know what that means. Okay? You know, I'm not really sure I'm experiencing that. Is it possible, is it just possible that the reason that your Christianity has become so stale at times, because that's true about all of us, that it's possible that the reason it's gotten stale is because your gratitude is where you stopped. Your thankfulness for the work that God did in your life, that's where it stopped. And let me tell you, gratitude burns hot, but it burns fast. And when we stop there and it doesn't lead me to other people, I get stuck because when I go to other people through the gratitude of what God has done in me, when I go to other people, you know what I'm going to experience? God's work. And when I'm involved in other people's lives and I see God working, it increases my gratitude, which also increases my work or to others to see God's work. And Philemon, you know that book you've read? It's a one chapter book. It's an easy read, trust me. You know, you can read it before you leave here today. Is it, this is the writer of Philemon. says, I pray that the sharing of your faith might become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in you for the sake of Christ. In other words, I pray that you would share your faith not for other people, but for you. That you would hear what's coming out of your mouth and you would understand all that you have. It's the whole idea that Jesus said, I'm going to fill your pockets, but you're not going to know what I've filled your pockets with until you start giving it away. And when you start giving it away, you're going to start understanding what it really is even more than when you received it. Jesus didn't find Zacchaeus in the church. He didn't find him in a Bible study. He didn't find him in a prayer meeting. He found him in the streets. So here's the challenge. You ready? Are there any tree climbers in your life? What do I mean by that? Are there any people in your life that are spiritually curious? Because that's what a tree climber is. Somebody who is spiritually curious about there's more than what I see and I feel it in my bones. And when you've experienced this and you move toward others that are curious about God's work, what do you do? Well, we listen. It's a powerful tool, listening. Like, have you ever asked somebody, hey, tell me your spiritual story. I'd love to hear it. Because trust me, everybody's got a work story, everybody's got a relationship story, everybody's got a family story, and everybody's got a spiritual story. Everybody. Even when they say, I don't know if I have a spiritual story, that's the beginning of their spiritual story. And then they'll talk for another hour. Being curious and asking them questions about their spiritual story. And waiting for that moment to where they ask you about yours. That's the challenge. I'm praying that God would give us 10 people from Midtown that this summer would say, I'm, I'm willing to move toward the spiritually curious and listen and listen and listen until they ask to tell my story and see what God does with that. In Revelations chapter 12, it says the power that we have against darkness, which we are in a time that is dark. Watch the news this week. 
is two things, the blood of the lamb, the work Christ did on the cross and his resurrection, and the testimony of the saints. And you know what the testimony of the saints is? Where God did his work in me. That's it. And here's the danger, friends. And Paul, who mentored Timothy, listen to what he said to Timothy. But understand this, that in the last day, there will come times of difficulty. He says, Timothy, beware. In the last days, this is what's going to happen. There will be people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They will be proud. They will be arrogant. They will be abusive. They will be disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful, unholy, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. They understand up here what Christianity is, but it has no power in their lives. And you know what he says to Timothy? When you see these people, run! Because as soon as you take power out of the church and out of our lives as Christians, now we are holding to a form of godliness that has no power to it. And that's true for many of us, that we've not experienced the power of the gospel because we've gotten stuck in gratitude and it's not moved us to others. And I'm praying, God, just give me 10 people this summer that'll say, I'm scared out of my mind. But whatever this means, I'll go on the journey to move toward tree climbers, one tree climber this summer, and go, I want to see what God does. All right, I'm going to finish with an illustration I think you like, but you probably won't get. It's the greatest fear, isn't it? All you'll remember is the illustration, but you won't remember what it's illustrating. What I'm trying to get you to realize is you can come to your church your whole life and never experience the power of God working through you. Your whole life. And, I, and I'm encouraging, urging you, encouraging you to get out of the seat, get into the game, and watch what God's doing in this city. <laughs> so... There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago called Ford versus Ferrari. You heard of it? It's the real story, maybe not the true story, but it's the real story of when Henry Ford II was president of the Ford Motor Company and he wanted to buy Ferrari. And Enzo Ferrari insulted Henry Ford and said, no way. And so Ford, being insulted and wanting to get revenge, decided that he was going to build a race car to compete against Ferrari in the Le Mans. Now, Ferrari dominated this race. It's a 24-hour race uh, where they race their cars at like 220 miles an hour, day and night, whatever kind of weather. It's a horrible race, but Ferrari has dominated it. And Henry Ford said, I want to win that race. I want to rub it into Ferrari's face. And so he hired Carroll Shelby to build the GT40 Mark, Mach 1. And um, so Carroll Shelby gets together these, all these engineers and drivers, and the program's just not going like they want it to go. So Henry Ford shows up at the workshop one day and says, I think we need to make some changes. And he's telling Carroll Shelby, the car designer, I've read about your car I've heard about your car. I've watched races. I know it up here. Like going to church and hearing what I'm saying every week. And Carol Shelby says, let's go for a ride. And this is what happens. With the, uh, oh, I don't want to take it for a spin. Why? Hey, come on, Ford, hop on in. 
steering wheel should tell you that I was born running, tell me. I had no idea. I had forgotten about the power of God's work. And Jesus is simply asking us through gratitude, jump in the car, let's go. Let's go. And that's what I'm asking you. I know I often don't do this, but if God is calling you, if you're feeling this pull in your heart to be a part of this crazy adventure this summer, and I don't even know what it's going to look like. We'll figure it out. <clears throat> Just take that prayer card, put your name on it, and give me your email, and drop it off up here before you leave today. And I'm just praying for 10. And then we'll see what God does. Because I, trust me, you have no idea how powerful and good your Savior is. And if your faith has grown stale, it's because... You're trying to refuel it here. Come on with me. Let's get in the car and see what God does. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that we live in a city full of tree climbers. And they're not, they're not fighting to get in the church. You're preparing the church to go out into the streets. And Lord, there are people out there that are lost in trying to understand where is joy, where is peace, where is meaning, where is purpose. Where are the answers that our soul aches for and longs for and cannot find rest? Lord, forgive us for how we hoard that truth, how we keep it to ourselves, 
how we're afraid sometimes. Um, and Lord, I just thank you that that fear doesn't disqualify us, but draws you closer to us. If there's anybody in this world that understands the brokenness of the world, it's us. The ones who by grace have the courage to see that we are worse than we think we are, but we are more loved than we can possibly imagine. Would that, Lord, move us now as we worship your holy name? In Christ's name, amen.